Welcome to Cybercast. Cybercast 115. We missed you last month, but we are back. I'm Clay. I'm Ty. I'm Tosh. Big dick in the house. It's been a month, guys, and uh, it's been... It's Has been, it been a month exactly or a little bit longer? <laughs> Has it been more? Has it been more? Oh, I don't know. It was it's been a doozy, but I don't know. Whatever thing is that that is happening right now. Ugh. Yeah. What's happening right now? The, the whole Palestine Israel thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh gosh. It's uh quite a doozy we have. We 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 I don't know, man. The the video clips of I'm watching of of all of the stuff that's happening. Uh, I think religion is the cause of everything that's evil, man. Mm. Am I going too far? To some people, I'm sure. <laughs> what, what is a religion, though? Like they uh, use religion, but isn't it religion, though? Okay. Isn't I mean, isn't that what it's? It's the justification for for people's actions. Isn't religion? Though? Yeah, for some, it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the outward justification, maybe, but mm-hmm. uh, I think the underlying motives are not necessarily religious. But that's that's my uh, let's say uh, uneducated <laughs> take there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a political science major, just for the record. <laughs> I'm not a historian either. I don't watch the news, so I wasn't aware. Um, Be glad you don't watch the news. It's it's depressing. Uh-huh. It's very depressing. I'm like watching a lot of stuff on Sean King's post, uh, Sean King's page. Um, via Instagram my gosh it is I I don't know how he I don't know how he copes with all of the stuff that is sent his way I mean I'm I'm just you know I'm cruising by and I'm affected by it and he actually gets it drops into his his DMs like every day Mm, well my interpretation I don't know whether it's true or not is that He's basically using, quote unquote, like injustice to fuel his stance on you know fighting for what he thinks is right. So what you don't you don't fully believe in what his his uh, his causes are? I believe it, but oh, okay. uh, not everybody believes. A lot of people don't. Yeah, no, I know, I know. No, so, but that's, that's not, why I put it in. That's in another thing words. about news and. Even people who are, you know, disseminating information. Like everybody has an, an agenda and an angle, and they have their biases. So on both sides, and it's really, I, I just, I'm, I'm tired of the, like being manipulated by, you know, I can listen to a story, what's going on, and I just need to hear like the, the basic facts, mm-hmm. and then I can kind of figure out what's really going on. But everybody always has their angle. On how they want you to receive it based on the news outlet, and that's, yeah, that's the thing. Though we we can't really tap into the the unbiased facts. It's always mediated to some degree. You know, no, no, on where but, you get your news from. Mm-hmm. Whether you get your news from Fox or CNN, right? You can listen to what the story is, and then you, then just tune out from what else they're saying because then there's tone and all that. But you could figure out what's going on. You can kind of get a better idea. And then you can tell when there's the angle. 
more the spin to the side that's presenting it. Yeah. Just exhausting. Yeah, I wonder where this is all going to go because I don't know. But I might, I might tune in to see what's going on. You like what? Get a bit of but there's a ceasefire now, isn't there? Yeah, there is. But for how long? Yeah, and I mean, that, that's an intermittent thing for that whole conflict to begin with, right? It's That's kind of the how the pendulum swings uh, for as long as that has been going on. Yeah, that's true. I'm just glad it's not like, going, not like that in like Korea. Just glad what day? It's not like that in Korea. Wow. Because you know, they're still at war. They never cease the war. They never cease the war. They're not fighting. That'd be, that'd be terrible. It's crazy. Well, we had one good thing happen yesterday. Ty. Which is? <laughs> Talking Eurovision? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure if it's a good thing for the... I don't know if I'm... I, I, should we spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet? I mean, uh, what? I don't know. I don't think Americans would care with it. Yeah, probably not. For something like that, how long do you have? It's not like a movie. Yeah, it's true. It's true. The thing is that, the thing is that like, so every the winners always get to host the next year, right? In general, in general, either. right? Italy is the winner, and but Italy is is bankrupt. How, how the heck are you? How the heck are they gonna? Um, host they got this? they got the whole year to figure it out, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, bankruptcy doesn't mean uh, you're out, man. It just means you're restructuring your debts. Mm, true. Unless I'll you mean they're just broke. They'll find a way. They'll find sponsors, you know. They'll yeah, because somebody might just invest in it. True. Rotterdam took two years to do it this time because they didn't have it last year. Yeah, but that was due to COVID. Yeah, and it cost them like 50 mil to do it, right? Uh, so they'll be spending years probably to uh, to earn that money back from uh, maybe the trickle in of tourism, mm-hmm. you know, given that, that that's going to be impacted. Yeah. Yeah, true. And especially like the amount of money they invested in it and COVID to happen. Yeah, the ROI on that is, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, compliments though for the for the organization. It's uh, quite a feat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can have the participants pay, like uh, like the weekend paid for his own show. Didn't he pay for his football, the The, Super Bowl show? Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that either. Like a couple million. Oh wow! Really? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's just for him, it was the same as sort of taking out an ad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, it could be for his uh, to up the Spotify to streams or something. Yeah, it's definitely a business expense. So yeah, he'll be fine. But it was a great show, though. Like technically, yeah, it was amazing. You know, them using live uh, green screen stuff in acts. Yeah, yeah, and that was just cool. like. Um, but Holland is really good at that because I believe they've done the last couple of years of those Eurovision shows, mm-hmm. and it just always looks good, man. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so super awesome. Yeah, and we're invested in a thing, man. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are some yeah real diehard fans out there. Yeah, some in my own yeah. circle, you know, that follow it year after year after year. They know. Every single fact about it. Mm-hmm. Mm, true. Who I won in any know. random year? Or... <laughs> the only thing I I mostly watch Eurovision for the like the 
technical aspect of it and a little bit of the music aspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and just like technically how they film stuff, how the show looks, you know, what kind of special effects they use, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, one of my favorites is, I don't know which year it was, but there's this shot, like, act is happening, mm-hmm. and the camera starts from out the, the audience mm-hmm. and closes in on the stage and oh. then goes around that person. Mm. Was performing the act, but there's a behind the scenes version of it, mm-hmm. and when you see that, it's like, ooh, okay. Nice. So basically, that guy is on a Segway. Oh, uh, going to the stage, and then somewhere on the stage, he just drops <laughs> the Segway and goes running around a person. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, How does he drop? Wait, where does it drop to? Just, just on the floor? Drops on the floor, yeah. Oh, wow, wow. That's crazy. crazy. <laughs> so someone probably comes behind him and drags the Segway away so no one falls over it. Yeah. Uh, well, no, like, it just stays there for a while. Mm-hmm. I'll drop a link in the Slack. Okay. Speaking yeah, of Segways. I don't remember that moment. Huh? Because it was recent, segways? right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, I just I thought we would be seeing more segways in this, oh. this day and age. Oh, segways! Like, oh, please! I'm happy we don't see more of them. Sorry. It feels <laughs> kind of like they've come and gone, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. I hope they stay. You see, I, I, I see more uh, of the. I don't know what you would call them, but the, the one wheel the, uni, the unicycle thing, oh, okay. the uh, e-bike yeah. thing, the e-unicycle Without... thing. Yeah. So we we really with just a set of wheels that you stand on, right? Not yeah. no yeah. steering or whatever. Oh, okay. So in Amsterdam in particular, I see a lot of those. Oh, yeah. Wow. By the way, listeners, Ty, just put the link in the in the Discord. I'll put it in the show notes so you could see what he's talking about. Yeah. And, like, actually over in Rotterdam, you have this guy who he's either on, like, the unicycle Segway thing mm-hmm. or, like, uh, it's like a skateboard, right? Uh, no, it's oh. just a one wheel with oh. motors on it, keeping him from falling. And sometimes he's on a some tricycle thing, mm-hmm. but he always wears a Spider Man suit. <laughs> okay. He's on brand. <laughs> yeah. So every time people say like, "Oh, look at Spider Man going," like, that's funny. Man. I have a question. Viral. So, um. Italia, Italy won. Mm-hmm. Did you guys agree with the audience vote? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the I mean, hell? Not because it's a rock song. Though. No, no, no. Like Finland just, uh-huh. was also a rock song. And I like that one. But. Yeah, Finland was good. Yeah. I think Malta. got shafted, though, <laughs> on the public vote. On the public vote, yeah, yeah. No, who really got shafted was the UK. <laughs> oh, th- I yeah, mean, okay. come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was quite sad. Yeah, zero points. For ev- they got the zero judges. points from everybody, right? The, yeah. the, uh, the professional really? and the audience. Yep. Was it and that bad, though? It was pretty, it was, his voice it was a good. His voice wasn't He's good. A... He liked it? Mm. I kind of like this voice and like the tune, but like 
the act was it it was nothing it was nothing there mm. it had potential but the execution was no not good <laughs> well i guess it says it, it speaks for the overall quality then right that uh even for quite a decent act to uh, <laughs> land that dead last yeah <laughs> i mean dead last it wasn't the audience didn't didn't give votes uh until what after the netherlands or san what san marino oh because the mm -hmm. netherlands got zero as well yeah yeah the yeah. netherlands was the last place that the, the last country that did not get votes everyone else from then on got votes for the from the audience yeah huh. so the f four I mean, you're welcome for hosting who... the thing damn yeah what's that said so, i mean you're welcome for hosting the thing i know damn <laughs> not even one vote not even one yeah. <laughs> well what, what is interesting is that like the four teams that had zero points were four teams that have placed directly in the finals and didn't perform in the semi-finals Mm. Well, that's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, so that that maybe uh, speaks to them needing to switch that up a little bit. Yeah, kind of eliminate that whole uh, automatic placement thing. Yeah, because it, it's not an advantage to begin with, right? That's that. I mean, that's clear now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. But I don't think uh, we could afford to win another time. No, we should we, not. You shouldn't have... win anytime soon. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> if you, I mean, good, pay, how much was it? Fifty million? You said that's, that's a lot of money. Like that. Yeah, that's what I read uh, this morning. That's that's a lot of money. Uh, it's sure not a lot of money if you don't include COVID. Yeah, but we have to. Yeah, if you can sort of account for all of the all of the tourism that that follows from it and right. yeah. the boost of the uh, Rotterdam economy there. But mm, yeah, I guess takes money to make money but uh, yeah it's yeah. the same with hosting olympic games right it's kind of uh, <laughs> a no-win scenario I, I think yeah well countries are starting to realize it's stupid you know yeah they they invest this, all this money just to try to look good for the world and then they end up having the structure that just sits there yeah 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 just most wasteful thing really yeah it is and a lot of poor communities are usually affected mm -hmm. yeah and you see it now with the, the world cup as well in qatar right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it makes you think why don't we distribute that a little bit you know uh if you have a massive sporting event like this why don't you divide it over a few different hosting locations so you don't have to build this whole uh infrastructure for it yeah or what if after you do you build this huge infrastructure afterwards it becomes like a shelter or mm. yeah, a community center or yeah whatever yeah. yeah yeah but they have to plan for it right <laughs> i think that's where the problem is they basically build it just to say hey we're great no but, but you like hand it over to like an np a non-profit organization or something that will mm -hmm. oversee it or several but i guess you can start it they started with it as a donation yeah yeah at least have like an independent committee overseeing the i guess the whole project management of it at least make sure that the working conditions are okay you know yeah all right what are we talking about today guys hmm? what are we getting into today oh yeah today um 
or we caught up on current events? I'm, I'm sorry, with the universe. Uh, no, I just, well, I mean, this was, you know, yesterday. I'm pretty sure a few listeners are interested in hearing about Eurovision, I figured. And, uh, I mean, I mean, they come to hear us have a music corner, so I'm pretty sure they are used to us talking <laughs> about music, right? Yeah. Well, would you, wouldn't you guys think that a world music con- or a world song contest would be at least interesting? I, I don't know so. if it would be good, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. But I think it would be interesting. Make it make it more like a festival, right? Like uh, right. maybe several weeks of, um, you know, you make different brackets, kind of like kind of like a soccer tournament, but with songs, you know. Yeah. Well, that's gonna cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 for for especially like uh, if, if the U.S. were to compete, you know, they have to concede, not. <laughs> <laughs> Being the center of attention, so that's 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 hard. <laughs> that's gonna be hard. <laughs> that's gonna be really hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they know how to do that. Huh. I mean, jokes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but haven't but they really. tried to get the U.S. into the Eurovision? Have they? They might that makes have. No sense. Well, Australia is part of Eurovision. Yep, they are. Yep. Huh. Don't ask me how how that is possible, but. Russia is uh, part of thinking like UK prison colony. Sure, you can. You're part <laughs> of Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But what about Russia, though? They're close yeah. enough. So. Well, you know the Russians love a good performance, so why not? The Russian act was pretty good, though. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it was subversive. Subversive, you know. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So next year, we may cover the Eurovision. <laughs> If I remember to watch, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> I'll take your vision over uh, an Apple event. <laughs> <laughs> but at least the music is better. Yeah. Oh yes, oh yes, for sure. The music is definitely better. Well, let's not get started on Apple. <laughs> no, let's let's talk about representation. Yes, representation done. Uh, shall we say done? Right in media or just representation? Going, going in the right direction. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Okay. Representation. Because, you know, I'm, I'm definitely during COVID, you know, I, I tend to rewatch a lot of things mm-hmm. that I used to love, you know, either maybe a decade ago or when I was growing up. Um, you know, Friends being an example. I just started rewatching Prison Break. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, even, even though I still find enjoyment in them, it, you know, it pains me to see how poorly um they did you know in, in terms of representation and how, how poorly they hold up uh today yeah even for a show like prison break that isn't even that old you know right um so i, I think you know acknowledging that you know representation overall is uh you know not in the best state in in, in popular media definitely u.s popular media um, which is, you know, at least half of our popular media here in the Netherlands, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's productive to talk about examples where we see it actually heading in the right direction or, or talk about the types of things that would be actually help, healthy to see more of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to hopefully, you know, further that conversation. Because, you know, what, what, what makes for good representation for me personally might not be necessarily what makes good representation for... Uh, you know somebody else which i think is is the point to begin with right that it it, it doesn't amount to you know uh ticking boxes or 
putting tokens in place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you do you guys have some examples? I have a few written down. So before before we give the examples, like let's the reason why representation matters in popular culture or in media um, is is for someone who is a minority to be able to see that that they have a place in this world. That something like Friends, who only has one black person, way probably towards the end of the run of the show, um, it, it, you know, it, you have we have a place. And that that we we do belong in this world, even though a lot of shows, especially in our past, didn't show us as um, as being meaningful parts. We might be the servants, you know. But uh, when I look at a show like Friends, yeah. and I can see that show just being like I can understand that circle of friends not having any black people in their circle or yeah, people but, they interact with. But, like, the whole show was, I mean... Yeah, because I, I don't watch it that much, so I don't know if they go outside, if there's, like, no other people. That's that's weird. Every I mean, time I see a clip yeah, of that it's show... Not, it's not so much the, the, the friend circle not having any black people in it, which, you know, it's it's not great, but it's, I guess, a completely whitewashed world, mm-hmm. a whitewashed version of New York that they live in as well. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gunter could have been black. Could have been gay and black. Yeah. I mean, or something. But no, he was just Gunter pining after Rachel, you know. But like a show like Handmaid's Tale, when I watch that show and I see so many white people, I'm like, in that kind of setting, <laughs> that story, there shouldn't be that many white people only. Like, it's it's like a, you know, yeah. it's like a dystopian future where all the people are like in one place. But I was like, where are... Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of white black people here and there, but it's yeah that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Having said that, what is what is your what is, give me some examples? Yeah. So, um, my mine are all from TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you're talking about shows that kind of try to fill the hole that Friends left after it uh, stopped uh, airing. Um, you know, New Girls, one of the those go tos where you know that they didn't necessarily uh, got off to the best start. Mm-hmm. You know, because they started the show out with uh, Damon Wayans as you know the one of the main cast members, and yeah, sort of the only black uh, person in the group. Yeah, in the main group of uh, of roommates. Yeah, and then well, for contractual reasons, Damon couldn't. Um, he had another know, show in the show. Right? Uh, yeah, he had another show that yeah. was he was expected to get canceled that uh, didn't end up getting canceled. So he was contractually obligated to stay with that show. Mm-hmm. So then they they swapped him out for uh, Lamorne Morris, right, uh, Winston. Yeah, which you know it, it has completely legitimate reasons to 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 do that swap. But yeah, no, it does feel a bit like you know swapping one token out <laughs> with another. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, once you, the, the, the show came into its own, there you could see that, you know, there were some refreshing ideas there in terms of, well, you know, having differences between race, differences between uh, class, sort of be presented in an in a unproblematized way, is the best way I can describe it, mm-hmm. which I think is, is refreshing, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be a generator of, of conflict all the time. Um, except for when it does, and they're actually, I think their handling of it was quite um, nuanced and, and mature. I'm, I'm talking about uh, an episode from season two that's called Cabin, 
mm-hmm. where you know the a plot is kind of your your standard sitcom fare where uh you know <laughs> a part of the group gets into shenanigans in, in a cabin but the b plot has um winston and uh, schmidt you know uh, one of the uh, other male leads who is uh, white jewish right mm-hmm. Um, and and that B plot centers around Schmidt. Um, you know he's he's with Winston in in a bar, and he comes uh, across you know a group of of uh, uh, people of color, uh, black people, and starts to code switch right, <laughs> just uh, as as he's having a brief uh, sort of off the cuff conversation with them, and then you know just switches right back. And Schmidt noticing that sort of takes that as as. Winston being uncomfortable expressing his his true black self, right, and and sort of puts that that white guilt upon himself to mm. create a space for Winston to, um, you know, let let the real Winston come out, so to say, right, mm-hmm. uh, and the real Winston being, you know, um, Schmidt's preconceived notion of what blackness is is supposed to be, <laughs> so you know, it starts to uh, it, it starts quite uh, let, let's say. Um, you know, light with him suggesting, hey, let's get some soul food today, <laughs> right? Even though Winston doesn't feel like having soul food. Yeah. And then once Winston get, it gets sort of what, what Schmidt is driving at, you know, that he's trying to sort of decide for him what expressing blackness should be or ought to be, right? Mm-hmm. Winston starts to lean into it and then starts spinning out this whole narrative of him, you know, having lived on the street with this huge uh, family sort of uh, huddled around uh, barrel fires and smoking crack, you know. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> poses the idea, you know, what I really want to do today is let's let's go out and get some get some crack. <laughs> so, they actually get close to doing that and that's, you know, where it, where it all escalates and where Schmidt has the realization, you know, with the help of Winston that, hey, being black is something that, um, you know, Winston p- personally is not ashamed of or is not troubled by, but what black being black and expressing that means is something very personal and very personal to each individual person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, further, when I think New Girl gets to sort of the latter seasons, there's actually a whole section where um, uh, Damon Wayne's uh, character returns, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And... They don't swap him. They don't swap Lamar Morris back out. There are actually two main black characters at that moment. Yeah, and they each have their own distinct personalities, right? Thank you. So that's not to say that New Girl is sort of at the cutting edge of uh, you know the type of res- representation that we're looking for, but for a pretty mainstream sitcom, it definitely is is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Do you guys watch uh, Rami or Rami, whatever it's called? What's it called? Rami, Rami. That I don't. No, nope. does it ring a bell? How do you spell that? R A M Y. No, never heard of it. Uh, what is it? It's on? An interesting show. I've started watching. It's about oh, it's on Hulu. Muslim American family. Oh, okay. It's a. Uh, it's kind what, of funny. what type of family? Sorry. Muslim. Muslim. Hmm. They're doing a good job uh, um, in, in America. There. Muslim American. A dick. Hmm. They're, are they doing a good re- job of representation there? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I've never seen a show before where. But is it only Muslim a... people in the show, or is it like? N- not really. Oh. Only Muslim, but it's a lot of them because that's their community. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's what I'm saying. That that makes sense to me. In a show, you know, if if, if 
a group of people, their community they're surrounded with is very much like them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, like, I don't think they have to force, but they obviously would have, you know, other ancillary characters of different races. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. the whole, you know, the family is, and I'm not sure where they're from. Um, but yeah, Egyptian. They're, okay. But yeah, yeah it's a pretty the, good uh, show. I mean, it's, it's a focus. Uh, well, they, they do bring up, you know, religion a lot and, and what what it is to them. So mm-hmm. it, it does come up a lot. It's, I guess also a little bit educational. But yeah, it's a funny show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, aside from portraying Muslim characters, I think it would be healthy as well for people to have a better understanding of what, you know, the Islamic faith entails and how it means different things for different people as well, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that that's one thing where, um, you know, both the United States and the Netherlands um, have, have quite some catching up to do, right? Um, yeah. Because, you know, I think both of our countries have big populations of uh, migrants from from uh, from Muslim, Muslim countries. Yep. And they each and they get sort of... Go ahead. No, they also have this this guy with like a, which which is actually like Remy's. Uh, the, the the main character is like a a friend of him in real life, but they also have a guy with a pretty like severe physical disability, mm. which you don't see a lot of either. You know, Breaking Bad was an example where they just where they had yeah know, with the the um, yeah. the son with mm-hmm. cerebral palsy, right? Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, R.J. Mitty is his name, the yeah. actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that that brings us also to a point of um, approaching intersectionality, right, within these types of, uh, of of media outings, right? That you might have a character that um, you know you you want to label as uh, a thing as kind of a shorthand, right, to help uh, an audience make sense of them, but you know I, th- I think there's a fine art to uh, you know trying to put multiple layers on top of, of, of a character and actually dare to do that, right? To ha- have a character that can be, for instance, you know, uh, of a certain gender, of a certain race, of um, a certain ability, uh, of a certain uh, mental state of health, right? And all at the same time. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. What do y'all think about Orange is New Black as representation? Is it done right? Oh boy. Better than Prison Break, if we're talking prison shows. <laughs> well, yeah. I agree. I mean, uh, yeah, the, like a major trans woman uh, as as a character, right? And trans woman mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. I think that's a major milestone, I think, for a, a show as popular as, as Orange's New Black. Mm-hmm. Again, the sense of pluralism, I think, is important. That, you know, yeah, you have different white, Hispanic, uh, black, brown characters all, all in that prison right uh, of mm-hmm. different sexual orientations and and one of the the main i think attractions of that show is ha- you know the, the the episodes that focus on one specific character and their backstory right yeah and it, it's definitely there that you can kind of see how these these different characters even though they might share one characteristic in common or uh, a background in common that they're they're all individuals and you know, can can be written as such. So hold on real quick. I never watched Prison Break. And you were saying there's not a lot of black people in there? There are, 
but you know right right from the get-go um and and uh, you know also that like you like you kind of alluded to before dick is not necessarily a misrepresentation of what things look like in your average american prison right that there's a very clear segregation between white inmates and, and, and black inmates and hispanic you know latinx yeah. inma- uh, inmates and that it's you know it's called out all the time it's it's dealt with you know quite um what shall i say ungracefully which might you know it might be appropriate in in, in some cases if that's what you're really trying to portray but it's it's hardly ever uh, sort of really resolved. It's it's just there, you know the the the, the racism and the, and the homophobia. Though, that, that that's that's something that that I can only imagine how hard that must have been for uh, Wentworth Miller, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Being a gay man playing a straight character opposed to let's say the one sort of outspoken gay character who was like the biggest psychopath of the whole prison, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's me kind of uh, putting together a narrative for Wentworth. It might, might might not be the case at all. I mean, he did return in 2017 to do another season, but uh, he does he does say now though um, he's not going to take a straight role anymore. Okay. Now you know it was a big step though for representation. Um, the Walking Dead, like zombies before that, weren't getting a lot of representation, and after that, <laughs> zombies were in every movie. So I'm I'm actually very proud of what they've done <laughs> yeah very very lifelike <laughs> oh guys yeah and then speaking speaking of intersectionality you know you have white zombies you have black zombies <laughs> all, but there's way more zombies. white zombies you, you have you have you know able-bodied zombies you have <laughs> nobody zombies crawling zombie zombies, speaking of walking know. dead right mm-hmm. so it, it's weird to me how anytime like a main character or well, a lot of times they get devoured by zombies sometimes right but mm-hmm. if you're why are there so many zombies if they're actually devouring didn't they didn't one zombie like eat uh his wife like he was in her stomach oh boy so a zombie became a husband became a zombie and then ate the wife huh no 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 um Rick's wife didn't he get didn't she get eaten oh I don't know I I, I, oh, no, I, I should be careful it's not a spoiler I, I stopped it? yeah I, I stopped watching for a while so <laughs> Yeah, me too. Uh, I think I watched one and a half seasons or something. Yeah, that show just—it's—it's mm. it's really, it's not—it's just not good. Yeah, it's sad. It used to be a very good show. It it tried, but it just—I don't know. I made a few seasons in, and I was like, I can't watch this anymore. I mean, I know you made it to Negan, right? Uh, to who? Negan, the ninja lady. <laughs> no, <laughs> that'd be better to call the ninja lady Negan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I made it to the yeah, I made sure it to the, some... the black lady who was basically like a stealth uh, a sword yeah, wielding yeah with with her brother or husband or whatever that was no spoilers mm-hmm. okay I'm bad well, with names but maybe outside of TV are, are there other uh, examples that, that come to mind for representation mm. <sighs> I have a few TV okay. shows, I think, and uh-huh. a couple of movies. Okay, go ahead. like uh, for instance, Black Panther. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, this... yeah. That was a milestone, absolutely. Yes, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. like having a superhero who's black. Mm-hmm. It's like 
oh yeah, I can be a superhero, right? And also Marvel is doing the Miss Marvel, which is a Muslim girl who becomes a superhero. Mm. I thought you were gonna say it becomes white. I was like, oh my god, mm? what did you say? <laughs> I thought he was going to say it's a Muslim girl that becomes white. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that'll be something. Mm. And in terms of TV, um, well, we were talking about Eurovision. I think that was pretty good representation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, having four hosts, uh, three white people, one white lady. Uh, one white guy and one white transsexual. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, what's the proper way to say it? Transsexual female? Transgender, right? Woman? Transgender. F- yeah. Trans and woman. Say what? A trans woman. Yeah, trans yeah, woman. Trans yeah. Woman. yeah. And a black uh, lady. Mm-hmm. So... Well, a short black lady. I mean, come on. Give us short people some yeah. representation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also important. Yes. <laughs> so. And in terms of shows, um, Good Trouble. Good Trouble? Yeah. What's that? Uh, I, I believe Tosh watches that show too. Okay. What is it on? Uh, it is, it's actually a spinoff show from The Fosters. Oh, okay. And the Fosters used to be uh, two lesbian partners who fostered children mm. and how their life goes. That was a show? I've yeah. i heard of it. And Good Trouble is basically a spinoff of two of the daughters who kind of go out in the world and grow up. Basically, Wait, are the, the no. two girls who work in the bar? I mean, in the restaurant? <laughs> restaurant? Bro, two broke girls? Oh, that's two broke girls. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> and, like, in that show, you have, like, uh, you know, uh, black people, Hispanic people, uh, Latinx people, uh, queer people, you know, and they really put out all the... Like, for instance, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, mm-hmm. before it was even a Black Lives movement, mm-hmm. like, really, you know, the big thing around COVID, mm-hmm. right? They already brought it into that show. Okay. Huh. Also, for, for like, gay people and queer people, they... Oh, they, they express all of that in the show, too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. And which show are we talking about? Good Trouble. Good Trouble. Oh yeah, yeah. Been watching a bit of that too. Yeah, that's a that, good example. Yeah, they have yeah. a lot of. Uh, yeah, he pointed out a lot of the stuff that uh, they're good at pre- representing. Yeah, that's good. What is it on? Yeah, there, there's a whole storyline there as well about mm-hmm. you know how in sort of the comedy circuit. Um, you know, yeah. pe- uh, people who come from minority backgrounds are often forced to 
bring stereotypes about their ethnic background you know make that part of their of their bit Mm -hmm. to get seen and uh you know be able to succeed in in that industry you know the whole snl sort of uh yeah uh circuit right Mm -hmm. and margaret cho actually shows up in that storyline it's pretty uh pretty nice nice I also like the part of like like one of the daughters is uh Latin and she is basically a coder. Mm. Right. So uh girls who code mm, you don't see them a lot. No. And especially girls from a minority background. Right. Well I I mean yeah. they do <clears throat> show Asian girls coding, don't they? True. But like right. other, no, like in general, yeah. Like it's uh, sausage fest, yeah. Right, it is. Yeah, definitely sausage fest. And, and and the tech company that's featured in the show, you know, it is exactly that. It's it is that that toxic male environment, and that's that's a big, yeah, yeah. Uh, source of plot in the show as well. Mm-hmm. True. There, there's one bit of representation that went completely wrong in, in that show, though. I don't know. Did you see the episode where um, there's a Dutch themed party, <laughs> like a, a, a going away party for uh, one of the secondary cast members? Dutch themed? Uh, What's a Dutch themed party? Is it a yeah. So the, the the plot li- the plot line is you know um, I think it's the the sister in law of I think one of the main cast members or something. Um, they're a, a concert violinist or well, a musician and and they're able to go to amsterdam for uh you know a tenure at the concertgebouw you know the the big uh, music hall in uh in the, in amsterdam mm-hmm. and you know before she's supposed to go to amsterdam they have this dutch themed party but it's <laughs> completely ridiculous they got high you know of course it's it's, it's a standard sort of traditional dutch outfits oh. that that's oh, okay really? that's up to the up to there but then like the they, traditional they, traditional stuff yeah yeah the the like stuff you would see at the sansa schans you know the oh, wow. the post the postcard stuff mm-hmm. um did they talk to her but, too well that's the funny thing so they have a character um who is supposed to be there as 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 an actual dutch person who's going to teach them a, a, a dutch folk dance <laughs> But it's so clear, so obvious that the actor playing that person is not Dutch, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and then you know the food that they serve. You know, they're all Dutch foods, but not not foods that you would ever serve together, right? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So I it was funny, funny yet. to see. So they went old school Dutch. They didn't go new school Dutch where they say everyone gets high. <laughs> nope. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's a stereotype play. I'm just saying that's what they do in these shows. They go either, they go either. Hey, you're a bunch of Germans, or hey, you're a bunch of weed heads. Yeah. Sometimes they do it correctly, though. I must say, but I have not seen it yet. Where where do they do it correctly? Uh, I've seen it a couple of times, but oh, yeah? I don't remember. Yeah. No, I haven't seen any good examples there either. I've, I've seen one. You know, I think it's uh, one of the seasons of. I think it's Homeland. Mm-hmm. Where in the beginning of the season, um, they're in the Netherlands. And then again, it's like the most awkward thing. Jeez. I've never seen the Netherlands represented somewhere without it being like a joke or punchline or something. 
Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, in Spider-Man, um, Far From Home is it, I think? Yeah, where they have this Euro trip and they end up in, in the Netherlands at some point. They're all Dutch actors there and, you know, it's it's all, all real. But yeah, like, it's played for a joke, obviously. Yeah. And for my last show, it's more a personal one, I think. Yeah. And I don't know. Cybercast? It was... <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, no, but um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, mm. mm-hmm. the OG, and the OG, for, yeah. And for me, especially, like the character of Uncle Phil, because mm-hmm. uh-huh. mm. like I didn't grow up with a father, right? So mm. seeing a black man who has his things together. Who makes a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, and who is present with his family and is fun, but also strict, you know. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, for me a refreshing thing to see. Yeah, you know, like okay, we all, we all know the episode where Will's father comes into the picture and then leaves again, uh, and Phil kind of uh, takes uh, him under his uh, his arm. It's yeah. Yeah, I can still picture that scene. Oh yeah, me too. I'm almost in tears. Yeah, that scene is powerful. Very triggering for me. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that is, it's a great scene. And like, yeah, every time works. I see it, like it gets me emotional. Yeah, mm-hmm. same. Uh, still, I think one of Will Smith's uh, biggest acting feats today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was so young. Yeah, yeah. He went all mm-hmm. out. So yeah, hmm. yeah. You know, you know, uh, Uncle Phil being mm-hmm. it, it would have been. I mean, he was playing a, a a dad, but he was he was he was a gay man, right? Um, like I, I would have not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Wasn't he, Dick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would have liked. I would have liked to have seen him. I mean, he was a, he was a great actor, and I would have liked to have seen him be able to play. Like people have to be like in, in another show. You in mean in another show like a, doing so, yeah. like even if it if it, if it was him being gay, you know, like something because uh, I loved him in this role. He, and to me, he he it meant a lot to see him in this role. Yeah, and it, same as uh, Roseanne's husband, right? What's his name again? Uh. Oh, you mean it's her show husband, right? Not her real life husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Show husband. Um, John Tom Goodman. John Goodman. Yeah, yeah. John oh, he's Goodman. gay as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but I think now he, he, yeah, yeah, he's very openly gay. Yeah. It really it, it hurts. When, it hurts when these roles. people have to live closeted lives. It's not right. No one should have to live a closeted life. Well, I mean, well, so I think sometimes it's misunderstood as well, right? When uh, you have um, a public figure who's not who hasn't outright said that they're gay or straight or whatever that people say that they're closeted, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. They can be out to their whole yeah, yeah. Point. family mm-hmm. and their circle of friends. It's not their obligation to let us know what, no, their, what their sexual <laughs> preference is. Right. right? Yeah. No, it really isn't. It, it really isn't. I just, I just feel like, like I've seen, um, I've seen an article by, you know, by an actor in what's it? Is that show Pos Posse? Is that a show? Or Pose? Pose, I guess. Pose. Sorry. Pose. And, <laughs> Pose. Yeah. Uh, what's that? 
Oh, no, no, no. It's about a posse that but... poses, so it's, it's almost... Oh, okay. Is it really? <laughs> I've never seen it. Well, I mean, it takes place in the in the drag scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, Billy, Billy Porter uh, revealed, you know, uh, he finally revealed that he has HIV, and, and it's like, it's like we we have to, we have to, we feel that these stigmas, like we have to hide these things. And it's like, you know, sometimes, it, like help this, like him being, him saying that he has HIV could help someone who is dealing with this thing, who, who with HIV, to help them cope with it, to help them see that, well, someone who has HIV and is HIV positive has uh, you know, is because you know, the only re- only person we have who's an HIV person uh, is Magic Johnson, but right? I mean, really? he has an undetectable lo- undetectable load. I mean, they out they basically, you know, the news of him. I mean, I don't know if he wanted that to be out, but it was put out there. Um, yeah, or Easy E, or Easy E, exactly. Yeah, but like um, AIDS and HIV. They have this whole amount of weight around it, created around the what, what was it, the eighties, nineties, yeah. where it was like, because AIDS is basically a pandemic, right? They call it a pandemic. It was. It is. Yes. It still is. Right. Which is interesting. The thing is that we 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 have we have basically put all of this, this because again it was you know it was called. Wasn't it called like the the the, the gay uh what was the what was the word for the you know the the gay cancer isn't that what they called it or something like that they called it because again mm-hmm. religious people uh they like to brush those things under the rug they don't want to confront this stuff right and <laughs> the majority of people in this in, in in the country I don't know how it is in the Netherlands but the majority of people in this country are religious people. Oh, they mm. they claim to be religious. They claim to to basically <laughs> lord their religious beliefs over everyone else. Uh, what do you mean they claim? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I can't. You know, there are people who are religious who act in in a less um, forgiving manner than I do, and I'm not religious. I'm the opposite of a religious person, and yet I'm more forgiving. Than all, all these people who are supposed to turn the other cheek. Uh, like in Texas, recently they passed just a couple of days ago. They signed their laws. Mm. You are gonna a new abortion bill. Yeah. That's a law now. And you know you see all those people, and they fight so hard for this, and they 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 say it's in in the name of religion. You know, because it's like, like saying God mm-hmm. is giving these babies life, and we're we're terminating it. Mm-hmm. And they they try so hard to to get that through, but then when people who are not in a position to have kids and are struggling and they need social assistance, they try to block that stuff as well. So they want these people like to to bring these lives into the world, but then figure it out and struggle and yeah, face hunger and homelessness and. So I, I I don't get it. It's really, it, it just kind of upsets me when I know we're kind of off topic, but <laughs> no, no. But I I I'm I'm with you. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna say like all kids need to be, which I mean, <clears throat> I respect anybody's view, anybody's stance. What I don't respect is 
forcing other people to do exactly what yeah. you think is right. Exactly, exactly. That, that's exactly but if you're going right to force problem. them to do what you think is right, then if if somebody says I would get an abortion because I I know I cannot take care of this ch- this child, then you then it's then you need to step up and help take care of that child. Exactly. If you're going to if you really feel like child needs to be abort the child, then take the child then. Yeah. Yeah. But even something like you know they want to cut back on some kind of services, you know, f- mm-hmm. food programs and, and uh, assistance programs. They fight hard against those, mm-hmm. but they fight hard to make sure that, I don't know. Yeah, they fight hard to make <clears throat> sure that those kids who are going to need those services are born, and at the same time, they fight hard to cut those services back. It's like, okay, yeah. where it's exactly does this? It's kind of hypocritical. Exactly. It's not very Christian either. I mean, no. If you, yeah, Christian Christianity, in my opinion, should be about helping each other. Yes. Um, anyway, over here is not so out there as it is in the states. Yeah, you do have you know uh, certain uh, parties who like to you know do things by you know. The Bible, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you you'll always have some uh, Christian representation in the in the yeah. coalition, right? Yeah. It has been that way for I think the, at least the last decade or so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they do so accepting that they're not going to be able to pass any legislation around abortion or whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's one of the benefits of uh, our non, you know, by um, partisan system mm-hmm. that you always have a, a good mix of uh, well not always a good mix but a mix of <laughs> <laughs> different voices uh, governing the country together right yeah, yeah I agree yeah because our laws are more progressive I think it's uh, a lot less of a battle, battle line I would say yeah right it's like we've been the first country to have gay marriage mm. Really? Well, I didn't know that. Hmm? When, when was this? Oh, I don't remember. Like 90s, 70s? No, definitely not 70s. It was 2000s. around the 90s, 2000s. Okay. Some, somewhere around that. I did not know that. Yeah, me either. But I heard somewhere that like uh, we used to be very progressive, right? But we kind of started to slack the... Most recent years, so yeah, we've kind of drifted to the center and, and right of center. Yeah, in terms yeah. Of <laughs> sadly, so yeah. I mean, the the last election cycle uh, definitely showed that. The... <laughs> yep. It looks like the Danish were the first for legalized like same sex. Oh, really? And then you, you it looks, hmm. it looks like it says nineteen nineties. All right, second country then maybe. Yeah, yeah it looks <laughs> like. It. Yeah, the uh, yeah, and then the, yeah, the Dutch was the next. I think looks like it. Yeah, we were uh, in the year two thousand, right? Yeah, I think it uh, looks like two thousand. You guys were, yeah. Hmm. I think it's ridiculous to tell someone they can and cannot marry. Just like when you oh, you can't marry. He, she's a black woman. You can't marry her. Like that's absurd. That's ridiculous. Yep. The only thing you can say, oh, yeah. the only so, thing you can do is stop someone from marrying an underage person. That's it. Other than that. Stay out of my marriage. <laughs> I mean, that, that's something I'll, I'll give to 
a show like Friends as well, you know, showing a, a lesbian wedding mm-hmm. on a, you know, the biggest show yeah, at the that, time. Yeah, that right? is true. Okay, that was quite a while ago, huh? So, yeah. Was that? Not a big deal, I guess. Did you say Dick? So that was quite a while ago, so yes, I guess it was, it was. a big deal. Mm. All right, any final thoughts about uh, res- representation in uh, popular or media or any kind of media? Well, yeah, I mean, just to reemphasize that it does matter. And for me for me personally, you know, narratives, you know, I, I associate popular media with, with narratives. And, and, you know, narratives are what kind of helps us make sense of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel seen in the narratives that we see in popular media, then, uh, yeah, what 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 are they for? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I uh, you know tell- anything that can... What's that, Dick? I can tell that there's, you know, there's, that there's some white people who are just tired of hearing about this. You could just, you could just see it, right? They just <laughs> yeah. feel annoyed by it, but yeah. they, they don't realize how much they have been, they benefit from, like when something is norm to you, it just, they don't realize how much it, it empowers them to mm-hmm. think as big as they want. And, yep. you know, if you see like superheroes are always white and, presidents are always right and you start to feel like yeah i can do that and then understand that other people not seeing that how it might limit their mm-hmm. their thinking or their dreams and or their their ambitions so yeah. it's just um it's sad when i see them getting upset about there being more representation <laughs> even though it's it's that way in the real world now there are segregated communities and I guess that's how they're seeing the world. Like I, I don't see a lot of black people in my, in the real world. So why should I see them on on my shows? But I'm like, well, because you just live in a you live in a bubble. But the world is not a bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a it's kind of a bubble. It's a globe. Yeah. But yeah, it kind of irks me when I see that. Like I get it. They're proud of hearing about it, but you you're gonna have to make noise about things until they change. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of empathy as well, right? I mean, they they can't put themselves in the shoes of not having seen anybody that looks like them on a, a major right. platform for as long as they've lived, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always being cast or always being cast as something, right? That's uh, yeah, you know, being cast as the thug or that's why Obama was such a big deal. I mean, it made a lot of white people angry. But, you know, it just, it just, to a lot of black kids, it's going to look normal. Like, okay, I can do that. Kamala, too. Yeah. What are you going to say, Ty? Yeah, I, I was going to bring up New Amsterdam as New well Amsterdam. as, oh, yeah, as yeah, one yeah. of the examples. Because, yes. yeah, truly diverse cast with, uh, you know, multiple mm. black main characters with all distinct personalities. Um, one of the most loving portrayals, I think, of an... an uh, Indian American character I've I think ever seen in, in Doctor Kapoor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where yeah, it's a show. The, the, yeah, it's it's a procedural, you know, hospital show, you know, mm-hmm. like ER. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being being able to show that uh, whether you were born in India or uh, you know a, a, a black man um, sort of beating the odds and uh, becoming a, a you know a leading heart surgeon, right? That that's attainable. Still showing all of the blemishes and all of the the obstacles that you still face. You know, one of the sort of storylines in in New Amsterdam is about you know the uh, black heart surgeon 
um, is about to get um, uh, featured in an article for you know a medical journal, and the journalists they have already sort of figured out. Uh, or they found a mugshot of his from an arrest, you know, years ago. <laughs> oh, jeez! And, and they, <laughs> but you know, they, they brought it to him and they said, "Yeah, let's let's portray uh, this rags to riches story where we show you from going, you know, going from this mugshot to where you are now as this heart surgeon, right?" Oh, jeez! Um, wow! And yeah, then, then of course the the, the whole storyline is about. Um, the heart surgeon, you know, coming to grips with, you know, that's part of his history and that it is going to be used against him, but it, that he can take ownership of that narrative. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just be forward about it. Hey, um, it was one of those arrests, you know, that, uh, you know, got arrested for, uh, well, the perceived uh, resisting arrest and assassinus to a police officer and, uh you know that that's on his record, but uh, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah, and also like uh, Max, right? Yeah, the basically the what, the director, director of the yeah, yeah, uh, his character, like his personal mission to give to people, like take away you know all the red tape and stuff like that like truly giving you me medicine and not the bullshit mm -hmm. that is kind of a like a refreshing idea of you know looking at the whole because basically hospitals are like money makers sort of right yeah yeah they're, they're run like businesses right That's, uh, exactly no and his approach is far from that you know he's kind of like a nuisance because he <laughs> basically wants things that cost money but there's no way to fund it or something like that I'm like I, I like that approach a lot yeah the humane the humane approach human centered yeah, approach exactly Got quiet <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe one last shout out. Yep. That's uh, Kim's Convenience. Oh, yes. Yeah, I like this show. Kim's Convenience? Yeah, because it's a mm -hmm. Canadian show, sitcom, based on a on a stage play about a, a Korean-Canadian family. You know, first, first generation immigrant, you know, parents and their children, right? Mm -hmm. They're two adult, adult children. And the, the, the nice thing about it, you know, it... it displays you know a community in all its uh, plurality and, and, and inner diversity but it, it more than that shows the mundane you know the, the type of plots they get into you know they're, they're your typical sitcom fare and uh, you know the dad's oblivious and the mom's overbearing and uh, you know all of those typical sitcom things but hey at the same time it's it's completely groundbreaking because it's a, 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 a comp mostly Korean uh, Canadian cast you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and the diversity comes into the store you know people, anybody else comes in but yeah the family unit is uh, yeah mm -hmm. Korean I like that show yeah this is a few episodes I've seen I liked I haven't seen it but I heard about it mm -hmm. yeah 
well, they just get cancelled. Well, not cancelled, actually. The, the creators pulled out. Because <laughs> mm. they, they got renewed for another season, for a sixth season, but uh, then the creators uh, stepped out and they felt like they couldn't do it without them. Mm. Mm. Do you know why they stepped out? Good question. They, they said, yeah, they want to pursue something else, but okay. yeah, why would you when you're... Even, but you know, sometimes a, uh, some shows go on for too long and I, I actually respect people who say, no, we're good, we're done. It's been, you know, it's been a good run. Yeah, but the timing was weird because they, they obviously set up like uh, a continuation mm-hmm. of some kind of plot line in, in the last season that they did. Mm-hmm. And Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. So it, it could be that, that, you know, the creative ambitions that was just an excuse and maybe there was something else going on mm-hmm. behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, cool. Shall we jump into uh, Music Corner, the famous, the infamous Music Corner? <laughs> <laughs> infamous? Wow. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, a music, no, right? I figured... That's a mu- movie. That's a Music Corner. <laughs> Yeah, music, music corner. Oh, okay. No, I thought Dick just said um, music movie. No, you said infamous. Oh, infamous. In, infa, infamy. Infa, yeah, infamy. Infamous. There you go. <laughs> I, I figure it, it was about time that I did another live music corner because, uh, you know, the more recent ones have been all pre-recorded, which, you know, kind of ups the production value. But, um, you know, I was listening back to some older episodes, some older music corners, and I kind of like the the live feel and the, and the back and forth there. So uh, let's give that another shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's today's Music Corner about? Um, for me, it all started, I think was maybe a month back or so when, you know, there was just a random weekend where I felt like I, I just remembered this song from back in the day that I hadn't heard in a while and that I just wanted to hear at that moment. So I played it and then I played it again and then I played it again and then I played it again and again every single day of that week right uh-huh. you know how that happens sometimes oh yeah so what was the song it was crystal waters gypsy woman here it is started to wonder as i often do you know what what is it about that song that you know grabs your ear that 
makes you want to come back to it, you know, time and time again. Um, so yeah, start kind of going down the different elements of the song, and of course the vocals stand out. You know, the the vocal delivery and uh, the sort of off keyness of it, and sort of um, yeah, I guess kind of the quirkiness uh, of the delivery. Um, yeah, that that's is one of the things that makes it great and probably warrants its own episode. You know, the sort of the influence of what I would call you know a diva vocal within house music. Um, but that that wasn't necessarily it for me. So what is what what is it then? Is it the beat? Yeah, that that's pretty darn catchy as well. But also not the sauce. So then what remains is I think the chord progression, right? So you have these uh, these organ chords, um, which are actually quite you know complex for a song that's that mainstream. You know, pretty jazzy. So there's kind of the progression isolated. Um, so the chords are nice, but I think it's more specifically the actual sound of it. Um, this this synthy yet sampled organ sound, this this deep bass hit that's in there. Um, and what I think that's kind of opened up in my mind is, uh, okay, what is that sound, and how can I trace the influence of that sound further? So. This, this sound comes from one very specific um, synthesizer slash uh, sampler, the Korg M1. Mm. And that's what our episode today is about. Because, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, how people can, you know, be sort of, uh, uh, can break new ground within music or contribute something to a particular style of music or a particular song or album or whatever. But I hardly ever talk about the role of technology, and that's that's what I want to do today. So, mm -hmm. um, this is specifically the Organ 2 preset from the Korg M1, which was particularly popular within early 90s house music, like the Crystal Water song we just heard. Um, and I, I think, in particular, the, the bass register of that, that preset... I think caught a lot of producers' ears and started popping up in track after track after track. And one of those examples is uh, Robin S's Show Me Love.
we're outing ourselves a little bit as uh, <laughs> 90s kids. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Question so... Though. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, was this as big of a hit in the US? Oh, yeah. As it was? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah, my, my research definitely seemed to indicate that. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of an unmistakable hit. Oh, it was. And then the, the funny thing is, it's the exact same organ preset that we heard in the previous song, but then implemented in, in kind of a completely different way, more as a as a bass instrument and as more of a, of a rhythmic melodic hook rather than a, a chord progression, right? Um, so it already kind of alludes to the versatility of this of this instrument but let, let's go a little bit further in, in exploring the the sounds of the of the Corgam one so it's also known for its piano sound and one good example of that is in another i think unmistakable hit by a london beat called i've been thinking about you mm-hmm. yeah. Clearly, we see the M1 popping up in a lot of, you know, early 90s house and, and dance tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know, no coincidence because, uh, you know, the M1 was released in 1988 and then they continued to manufacture it until 1995. So it's a very concentrated period of time in which, you know, the, the K1 or the, the M1 was sort of readily available to the consumer public. And, uh, you know, there are some things about this uh, instrument that, yeah, kind of make it, um, uh, you know, unique for its time. So, uh, like I said, it's it's both a synthesizer as well as a sampler. And particular on, on the sampling side, um, you know, that's one of the sort of ongoing challenges of, of music production in, in a digital format, right? To be able to um, get sampling technology to the point where... It could fit into a small footprint. Uh, it could be done in a way that was kind of um, efficient in terms of memory usage, because yeah, you all know, you know how hard and how how expensive memory was to come by in, in those days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know the, the people at Korg, uh, through some technical wizardry, that they, they they you know were able to get a bunch of professionally recorded samples, um, like very meticulously recorded samples at a reasonably high quality, so like uh, a PCM quality, uh, into, you know, uh, a sort of internal uh, memory bank 
uh, that, that just fit in, into your standard sort of keyboard sized footprint, right? With even some expandable memory to get more sounds out there. But it's, it's a really impressive array of, you know, hundreds of different uh, sounds that you can then uh, apply different effects to. So for the time that was unique, also, um, it was relatively affordable, you know, it retailed for around $2,000, you know, uh, at the time. You know, it's not cheap necessarily, but definitely if you, if you want to um, get your hands on some some pro-grade uh, equipment that you can just go to work on in, in, in your home studio or in a, in a small-time studio, I think Cork did a lot to sort of um, make that more widely available and not just to, you know, record labels with big studios and uh, all types of uh, expensive gear, but to your, you know, your average uh, uh, either hobbyist or uh, sort of upstart producer. But, um, you know, the next uh, example that I'm going to play is by far, or as, as far from an, uh, an upstart, I would say what, what we're going to hear now is sort of peak M1 uh, prominence. Again, it's, it's the same piano sound that we heard in the London Beat song. Um, but this time, you know, a really distinctive song for, uh, for the 90s, which is Vogue by Madonna. So I, I don't know if it's if, if it's because of Vogue alone, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that contributed to um, a lot of producers of the time seeking out that uh, that M1 sound. Mm -hmm. um, and I would definitely say, you know, if if a, if a sound is good enough for the queen of pop, mm -hmm. it must definitely also be good enough for the king of pop. <laughs> Um, and here is where my research got a little bit tricky because, um, well, there are a few things that I put together. So um, in the early 90s, we know that Michael Jackson was very much exploring the sounds of New Jack Swing, right? Um, probably became one of the people to popularize that, that style of R&B, right? Mm -hmm. And in working with Teddy Riley... Uh, was able to uh, to really marry his own particular um, you know delivery with that style with this very sort of electronic driven um, take on on R and B music, and it's known that Teddy Riley was a proud owner of of the Cork M1. I think it was the rack mounted version of it, the Cork M1R. Um, and yeah, the the production period of the Dangerous album, which features a lot of that new Jack Swing sound, you know, falls smack dab in the middle of the of the production cycle of the M1. So between 1989 and 1991, right? So those things put together that make it pretty much unavoidable that the M1 was featured somewhere on Dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can, however, not say for sure which track it would have been, but just to give you an idea of the type of sound and and how it got infused into that that era of michael jackson's music i'm going to play you remember the time from the dangerous album <laughs> Do you remember 
this track in particular you get a sense of what the appeal might be of the actual sound of the m1 because uh, like i explained you know they were trying to overcome some kind of practical challenge of making sampling attainable in in, in this format but it also made for a, per, a particular sound you know it's this this ruthless precision of, of a, a sample keyboard or sampled piano or sampled organ which you know to some ears might sound kind of cheesy right and uh, kind of inauthentic but i think in, in the hands of the right people like a, a teddy riley uh, it actually kind of amplifies what he's doing because on a track like remember the time and all of those new jack swing tracks um you know most of the sounds are synthetic right the, the vocals of course are organic and there are some organic elements in there but mostly you know it's a drum machine it's samplers it's synthesizers um but you know somebody like teddy riley who has a very natural sense of well new jack swing so swing right this kind of off kilter feel mm -hmm. is what makes you know it, it feel human again and I think it, it's this this sort of almost it kind of feels like it's wrapped in plastic, right? This uh, this the sound coming out of these types of keyboards, but I think that's exactly what makes it all fit together. The fact that it's so precise and so ruthless in its precision. Um, so I, I already said that the the Corkin One is, is pretty versatile. You know, it has a lot of different sounds packed in there. So we we listen to some, let's say, of the more um, traceable sounds that you can trace back to, say, a piano or an organ. Um, but it also uh, um, has some other, um, you know, more ethereal sounds in there, and that's I think why when they were making their Innuendo album, uh, Queen also gra gravitated towards the Cork M1. Um, so they use it all over the, the, the record, but um, I'm going to play you um, two of the songs. One is Don't Try So Hard. If you're searching hard for something, don't try so hard. If you're feeling kind of nothing, don't try so hard. When your problems seem like mountains, feel the need to find some answers. You can leave it for another day Don't try so hard But if you fall and take a tumble It won't be far If you fail you must grumble Thank your lucky stars Just savor every muffin And treasure every moment When the storms are raging round you, stay right where you are. Oh, don't try so hard. 
So what you what you might have heard this kind of trickly sound at the beginning that is the Corgan one and uh, specifically the universe like preset. Then they also use the uh, the orchestra preset on the intro to the show must go on. the last album that Queen released before Freddie Mercury died and while they were doing uh, while they were recording the record you know Freddie was really dealing with uh, the health consequences of, uh, of his HIV um, and I think you know what the M1 kind of infuses into the songs, for, particularly from that era, is, is this kind of eeriness, right? And this, this other worldliness that seems to really add this additional layer to, you know, they're already quite, you know, melancholic songs, you know, from a lyrical and, and melodic point of view. But then once you add in these, these kind of strange sonic elements from, from the M1, it, it just makes the whole feeling complete, you know, mm -hmm. at least for me personally. Um, so I mean, yeah, we, we, we covered the two biggest solo performers pretty much on the, on the planet and one of the biggest bands on the planet. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, M, the M1's significance, yeah, goes beyond just, you know, music, um, you know, as, as, you know, music put on record, um, also has a bit of a, a connection to TV because, uh, there's, uh, this, uh, slap bass patch on the M1 that uh, caught the ear of a particular composer. His, his name is Jonathan Wolf. Do you know who that is, Clay? Mm, Jonathan Wolf? No. Because, um, you know, his use of the M1 uh, is a use that I think you, Clay, specifically are, are deeply familiar with. Haven't guessed it yet? Uh, is this... <laughs> Want to hear it? Uh, yeah. This is Dr. Wolf, <laughs> Dr. Who or something? Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, it doesn't get more iconic than that, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> In terms of uh, <laughs> at least a bass sound, and it's pretty uh, remarkable that that comes straight from the Korg M1. Uh, you know, though layered with uh, the bass sound from uh, I think another synth, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, really that attack and that slappiness that that comes from the Korg M1 directly, and. Nice. You know, just a small segue there. I think you know the the process behind coming up with that theme and its implementation for each uh, episode. That's one of the more unique stories I think in in TV music production. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, what I'll say about it, you know, the 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 theme. You know, there was a unique version for each specific episode that was specifically tailored to. Um, you know, the opening monologue that Jerry would always have, right? His, his comedy set at the beginning. Yeah. So let, let me let Jonathan Wolf tell you all, uh, his, his process about it. Okay. It all started with a phone call from the comedian. I got a phone call from Jerry Seinfeld, who described to me a problem they were having putting music for his show. He said that he, the opening titles for his show was to be him performing stand-up material related to that particular episode of the show. Now, I was thinking the other day about hair. So I started with his voice. I watched a lot of his comedy. I kind of took a, a meter from his delivery and made that the tempo of the Seinfeld theme, and I built the rest of the instruments around him. Instead of using, you know, trumpets and saxophones and guitars to play melodies, which might have interfered with this lead instrument, his voice, I gathered sounds from my mouth. And I created this library of weird noises that you can make with your tongues, and they seemed to play along well with his voice. Then I used the bass, that slap bass, as the primary melody of sorts for Seinfeld. It's in an audio range that doesn't interfere with Jerry and I can use it modularly to wind in and out of his lines. Now, I was thinking the other day about hair, and that the weird thing about it is that people will touch other people's hair. You will actually kiss another human being right on the head. But if one of those hairs should somehow be able to get out of that skull and go off on its own, it is now the vilest, most disgusting thing. Each episode, I redo the theme for Seinfeld to match the pacing of his monologue. That's awesome. So, wow. just so you understand, in, in, that, in that clip, he's actually playing along live to right. uh, Jerry's monologue. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. So, uh, That's awesome. There, there's a whole episode um, about this process. Uh, it's a 20,000 hertz. It's a music, you know, sound design, audio focused podcast, which I'm a big fan of, and uh, their episode called Seinfeld. Uh, goes much deeper into this in, into this process, so that's uh, that's definitely a must listen for you, Clay. Yeah. What 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 show was that again? Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand hertz. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think <laughs> the takeaway from today is uh, we're all very familiar with how the Korg M1 sounds. So uh, I think it's important to to yeah, kind of. Uh, Put it in, in, in sort of a historical context, you know, mm -hmm. what uh, 
a pretty, uh, well, sort of looking back, maybe a, a minor technological development can, can still uh, leave a mark on how music actually sounds and how, how your TV programs actually sound. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what's, what's fun to see as well is that, you know, uh, a, a sound like the Corgan one that might sound dated to a lot of people is still, you know, very much sought after, um, for, for modern, uh, music producers. So you see a lot of software versions of the same synthesizer now being released. Arturia has a great one, for example. Um, but yeah, you see also, you know, producers pining after the real deal. Um, for example, uh, Justin Vernon or Bon Iver, you know, as he's called. Um, he, uh, in particular, when making the, the self-titled Bon Iver album, um, you know, really fell in love with, with the Korg M1. And even though we know Justin Vernon as really uh, a mostly analog guy, you know, plays a lot of instruments, um, does it all himself and... You know, we know him as the guy who goes off in, into a cabin in the woods and just, you know, uh, in, in a very bare bones way, puts songs together. Um, but then, yeah, you know, he'll insert like a completely synthetic element like the Korg M1 and, and kind of mesh it all together with his still very organic style. So there's one uh, track on the Bon Iver album that, um, yeah, where it's very obvious that, uh, you know, it's the Corgram one providing the sonic landscape there. And that's the, the final song, Beth Rest. <laughs> Similar to how um, a Teddy Riley or the producers of the, the those early '90s house tracks that we listen to can make something so synthetic sound human through inserting, you know, funk and groove. Something like Bon Iver can make it sound human by, you know, channeling emotions through it, mm -hmm. which is what I get from a song like this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, all of these producers, they're kind of leaning into that cheesiness to find something that's um, human and kind of therefore you know, beautiful and, and vulnerable in a way. Um, so, yeah, even though, you know, a, a technological development uh, like the Korg M1 represents, you know, that they're born out of 
mostly practical challenges and, and business decisions and, uh, you know, trying to make a buck. And, you know, Korg M1 is arguably the best selling synthesizer of all time. Um, you know, for me, it's much more important to see how something like that can actually uh, influence and inspire, you know, an entire subculture of music and, and actually influence how music is and, and can be made and by whom it can be made. You know, I'm, I was listening to um, an interview with Dark Child the other day, you know, Rodney Jerkins, uh, who's, you know, kind of Teddy Riley's protege. Um, you know, he got his start in music because his dad, uh, you know, invested in uh, an MPC for him, you know, and that, that was enough for him to get started in making music. And now look where he is, you know, he's produced with Michael, he's produced with, well, every, every artist on, on, the, on the face of the planet, mm -hmm. <laughs> almost, right? Yeah. But it takes that jump start, you know, being able to um, get your hands on gear that's affordable and versatile enough to, um, you know, let it work for you and help you kind of express your, your creative vision, even if you're not a person of means, you know, or somebody who's, um, has that industry support. Right. And I think that includes me as well. You know, if it weren't for relatively, um, affordable and, and um, sort of economic and efficient, uh, technologies like this, I, I, I wouldn't be able to produce music. Yeah. So, um, that's, uh, I think what the, what I want to leave you guys with, that's, uh, I think, uh, what, uh, what makes the Korg M1 and, and technologies like it so great. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. Cool. I think it's funny you, you featured like a sound, <clears throat> because just yesterday I was listening to uh, the Tenet soundtrack, mm. and, and I was reading an article about it, but it has the same, it has some of the same sounds as um, Inception, you know, that, that yeah. now very overused, you know yeah. sound that you hear in like all movie trailers yeah. and in all movies but it's 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 like actually just like uh it's like three different horns put together mm. to make that sound but it's just used by and i think it's gonna like 10 years from now you can make a <laughs> a music corner about that <laughs> tosh when when it's played out and be like do you remember the 2000s when every movie had this sound <laughs> The, the late 2000s, 20, 2010s. Yeah. Yeah, it's all Hans Zimmer's fault. Yeah, I was going to say, Hans Zimmer's <laughs> all the way, man. <laughs> well, I think if anybody... Hans Zimmer didn't it. work on, uh, on Tenet, did he? No, he, he did it because he was busy doing Dune. But um, the person who did, who is uh, Ludwig... What's his name? Oh, yeah, he, he did the Black Panther soundtrack, actually. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to Black. It's funny how sometimes I just I just run into these people that that make the same soundtracks. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you were the same person. But yeah. And then Luther Gorenson, he's also the producer for all of the Childish Gambino stuff. Mm. Oh, what? So, uh, pretty first style guy, maybe uh, one that could feature on MVP sometime. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm digging him, just like Daniel. When I ran when I ran into Daniel Pemberton, you you um y'all familiar with him? Who was that? He just he did this the Spider Man into the into the Spider Verse okay. soundtrack. Okay. You should check out that soundtrack. It's pretty good. Mm. Pretty good stuff. Okay. But yeah, anyway, didn't mean to sidetrack, but <laughs> just funny that you talked about a sound and that's what I was like looking re researching yesterday. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. So I, I think, you know, exploring what technology does within music quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you guys are interested, I'd love to uh, do more episodes like this one. Yeah, no, I, lo I love this. this was yeah, great. I just put I in my request. <laughs> What'd you say, Dick? I just put in my request. Yeah. The, the, the bra. <laughs> <laughs> the bra. <laughs> Alrighty, well, this is uh, going to be a nice long one for you, the listeners. Um, I mean, are we gonna wrap them up, guys? Probably should. Yep. Yeah. Put a bow on it. Yep. All right, uh, Ty. Where shall we find you? Uh, I don't know, man. You can find me on. He's on Instagram. He's on Instagram. I've seen him. On, he looks at my stories, so he's on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on Instagram. Kind of on TikTok. I don't know, man. Like, I'm still on Twitter, but I don't use it. Just uh, just do Instagram, TY09, TY09. Cool. All right. Tosh, uh, where shall they find you, especially if you have questions about today's uh, music owner? Uh, I'm on, at Tosh Palak on Twitter. I have to think of <laughs> for a second there. But, yeah, that's where I am. Yes. Okay, cool. And Dick, where shall they find you? Uh, Dick Daly on Pornhub. I mean, <laughs> don't don't go look at him, guys. Uh, <laughs> Dick underscore Daly on Twitter. Uh -huh. No, 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 IG. But it's not underscore um, Daily. I'm not on, doing anything on Twitter. It's just Dick Daly on Twitter on IG. Oh, on IG, it is Dick Daly on yeah. IG. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And that was right for Twitter, but I mean, I don't know. Hardly on Twitter, folks. Oh, what'd you say? I'm hardly on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's on he's on on uh, Instagram. If you have any questions, slide into his DM. Sure. All right, cool. And uh, I'm CW Daily everywhere. Um, you can find us Cybercast, C Y B R C A S T everywhere. I think, uh, or go to our website. And uh, we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you for being with us. Ciao. Peace. Peace. Hello. Return to your regular scheduled programming.